Well, for the folks who don't know me, I'm Ken Amador. And there goes my watch, my phone. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be back. Um, stay. Um, I actually live in Mansfield, Massachusetts. For the folks who don't know me, um, I'm going to move this down just a bit because it seems a little loud. And um, I used to be here. I used to be the head of school at West Bay Christian Academy. Uh, it seems like about five years ago or so. And uh, really look forward to coming back every time Pastor Rich asks me to fill in for him. And it's always a blessing to be able to come back and see old faces. Maybe not old, old, but people I've seen before. And newer faces. So I am very grateful to be here this morning. I'm looking forward to presenting God's Word to you. And hopefully it can be a blessing to you. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 is a great, actually the whole book of Acts is wonderful. I know that Pastor Rich is a fantastic preacher of God's Word and a teacher of God's Word. And so I know you guys are very familiar with uh, a lot of God's Word. And so when I come here, my goal is to encourage you and not just encourage you, but challenge you and try to keep it real. You know, that's one of the things for me. If a message doesn't hit my heart, then it's never going to hit your heart. And so I try to preach from my heart to be able to encourage you, and especially in these days, as we think about the issues that we're facing as a nation, as a world, uh, I think we've got a lot of stuff uh, that uh, we can do. And this is a special time to do that. And so my message this morning really has to do with, instead of looking at problems as problems, look at problems as opportunities. And there's an opportunity here in this world that's hurting, that's struggling, that I believe as Christians, we can shine as lights. We can make a difference in the people's lives around us. And I want to use the Apostle Paul as uh, my model, you know, in this situation. So Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7 is going to be the jumping off point. So make sure your Bibles are limbered up so because we'll be jumping around a bit and hopefully it will be an encouragement to you. So Acts 14, verses 1 through 7 says this, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. This is uh, Paul and Barnabas. They went to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Gentiles, believed. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part uh, sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to, to abuse and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. Verse 7, and they were preaching the gospel there. Father, we thank you so much for the awesome opportunity we had to look into your word. And this morning, Lord, we are looking to you to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, to receive what you have for us. Every person in this room today has needs. 
Every person in this room has a past, they have a present, and they have a future. And Father, we prostrate ourselves before you and ask, God, that you would speak to us. And Father, that we would be here present, that we would be listening not thinking about what happened yesterday, not thinking about what happens tomorrow, but, Father, we would be here now to receive what you have for us. Help us, Lord, to receive it. Help us, Lord, to understand it. And then help us, Lord, to apply it to real life. Thank you so much for your blessings. And we ask, God, that you would meet with us in a very special way today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, my message of my, uh, my title of my message is Problems Mean Possibilities. Problems Mean Possibilities. This morning, I want to look at Paul's outlook on life. He had a very unique perspective on life, and some of it is based on his uh, previous life before he became a Christian. He was a stubborn guy. He was a focused guy. And, you know, one of his main thing was that he was a, a zealot for the Lord, and according to his understanding of Judaism. And so he was a person who was pursuing born-again believers and putting them into jail and even consenting to some of them dying. So this is all before he got saved. And so when he got saved, his life, his mindset, and his goals were radically changed. He became a new creation in Christ. My prayer this morning is that we will see his outlook on life and will adopt it as our own outlook on life. And if I believe this, if we adopt his outlook, we can and probably should have a greater impact on our generation. I look at his life and his outlook and I can sum up in three statements. The very first statement we're going to look at, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. The first outlook that I believe sums up his life is this. Number one, expect problems from everyone. Not too pessimistic. Expect problems from everyone. Now, I'm not saying that we should be, walk around fatalistic or having a, a pessimistic view, but if you understand the, the frame that we're made of, we're messed up. We got problems. And I'm talking about Christians, not even talking about unsaved people. We've got issues. Now, we're in good company because, and Paul was too, because Jesus promised his disciples they were going to have problems. If you have your Bible, let's turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And let's just see what Jesus had to say about this idea of problems. So John chapter 16, and we're going to look in verse 33. 1633, John 1633, and it says this. These things, this is Jesus talking, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. I'm so glad he prefaced this next statement with that. You're going to have peace. In me you have peace. But notice what he says next. In the world you will not, may not, not Possibly, he says, you will have tribulation. I love the next statement. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So let's just kind of set the bar right there. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, says, you know what? You're going to have problems. 
I had problems, you're going to have problems. Don't turn there, but John chapter 15, verse 18 says this. If the world hates you, and this is Jesus once again talking, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So the standard is this. If we are vibrant Christians living out the gospel that God has called us to do, our life is going to be offensive. So we shouldn't be shocked when we present the word of God or the gospel to an unbeliever and they get mad or they get frustrated or whatever, or they say that we're exclusive or what are all the other modern words that they use? So we need to expect problems from everywhere, and that comes from Jesus Christ, that comes from Paul, and it comes from our own observation. So Paul, the apostle Paul, faced opposition from everyone, specifically three different groups. The first group he experienced opposition from was when he first got saved, from fellow apostles. They struggled to accept him when he became a Christian. You guys remember that? It took Barnabas uh, kind of saying, hey, this guy's cool. He's good. I've, I've seen his life. Ananias said, hey, he's cool. He's not, you know, he's not faking it. And, but they were still not sure because you think about his life before he became a Christian. He was fervent. He was committed to seeing Christians imprisoned or in jail. They fought him when he began preaching to the Gentiles. You guys are familiar with this from earlier in the book of Acts. So he had a lot of opposition from his own guys, his own team. So not only fellow apostles, but he also experienced opposition from the Jews in the synagogue. Jews did not like that, uh, what he was saying, so they spoke out against him. You know, they were whole hog committed to the Mosaic law. And here Paul is saying, hey, it's not the Mosaic law that saves. It's only through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. They didn't like that. Surprise. <laughs> Paul's message was one of change. And they didn't want to change. They were changing the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday changed the emphasis from tradition to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and changed the audience from just Jews, but to also now include the Gentiles. They didn't like any of that. And so there was opposition. And then a third group, the unbelievers. They once stoned him and left him for dead. Now, I don't know about you. If you've ever been hit by a rock, unpleasant. My brother, I, I hate to say this. This is before I became a Christian, so I have that cover. Um, I used to enjoy teasing my younger brother, three years younger than I am. And I would tease him. This is horrible. I, don't, I do not recommend it. I would tease him until he lost his temper. Now, I don't know. Hopefully nobody in this room has this type of temper. But when he would lose his temper, the veins in his neck would pop out. His face would turn red and his eyes would get really big. When it got to that point, my goal was to move. I was about maybe two times thinner than I am now, and I could move pretty quick, but I could never outrun a rock or a boot or a Tonka truck. Remember those old Tonka trucks that were metal? Those were real toys. Anyway, shoot. Uh, but he would always hit me, and it was always painful. So getting hit by something specifically of a rock or by a rock is not pleasant. It can be quite damaging. He experienced this and they thought he was dead. And they walked away. He wasn't, praise the Lord. 
And then he was publicly beaten many times with a whip. Some even said that the Apostle Paul had the spiritual gift of getting beat up. That's how often it happened. So he would get people so angry that they would would do horrible things to him. He spent a lot of time in jail for preaching the word of God. So he knew about opposition. I'm wondering today, can we identify with Paul? Here we live in America, and it's not as great as it once was. I freely admit that. I was born in 1963, and I definitely see a degradation in the quality of life in America. It's still great compared to many other countries in the world. But so the problems that we have really depends on our perspective. You know, a lot of the problems we have are maybe more verbal. Maybe we don't get that job promotion because we have not, you know, focused, you know, and been, uh, maybe we've said too much about the Lord, whatever. There might be some suffering in that respect. But we as Christians, just the very nature that we have is offensive to the people who are not saved. And there's problems there. Do you have problems at home? Do you have problems at work? What about your neighborhood? Or even here in church sometimes. We experience problems. Here's the sad fact. Problems are a part of life. That's the norm. So that is not what I want to focus on today. We all acknowledge, we all accept that we have problems. Everyone of us, if we had every person stand up and say, here are my problems, we would be here probably until next week because that's a lot of problems. So that's not the issue. That's not the point. What I want to focus on today is our perspective of problems. What is our perspective? I love that Paul did not shy away from problems And I submit to you, neither should we. What do we do with those problems? Number two. So number one, expect problems from everyone. Number two, view problems as possibilities or opportunities. So here we are in various ages. I'm almost 60. And we've all been through tough times. We've all had problems in our lives. And so... Facing those problems have caused us to do certain things, have a different perspective. One of the things I've noticed about me is I'm not as happy-go-lucky as I once was. I fancy myself as a fairly humorous person, although not to my wife. Actually, it's funny because before I got married, I was very funny to my wife. 37 years later, not so much. I see myself more cynical than I once was. Now, cynic, cynicism is, it is what it is, but it's looking at a situation, and instead of having a more positive slant on it, I have a more negative slant to it. And some of that is caused by some of the problems that we've all faced. So what has a lifetime of problems led us to do? There's a couple of options. Number one, we get desensitized. We get desensitized. Things that used to upset us as immoral or wrong no longer bother us. It's almost like we've got like a, a, a something around us that's kind of not allowing us to feel the full brunt of stuff. We've, be, we've become desensitized. Things that used to break our heart now are nothing more than entertainment that Christians watch on TV. Think about it. Where are you in that spectrum? 
You know, the stuff that when we first got saved, man, sin was like our radar was on. And that sin, that's horrible. I want to get away from it. But the longer you're a Christian and the more you experience the problems of life, the more desensitized we can get. It's not an automatic thing, but we can get desensitized to it. The second way that we can respond to these problems is we get demoralized. We get demoralized. We get worn down, so we give up and we say, forget it. We're still going to church. We're still trying to be a blessing, but we're not really living intentionally. I think that's the key word I want to use. We're not intentional about our relationship with God. We're not intentional about our neighbors who live down the street. We're not intentional about our coworkers. We are demoralized. We're tired. You know, we're tired of being on the front lines. You know, maybe we've retired spiritually. We get demoralized. We don't want to fight anymore, so we cave in and let our children dress any way they want. That's a daily moment-by-moment battle. I know that. We withdraw from the world and don't stand up for righteousness or even share the gospel. We get demoralized. We get quiet on issues because we don't want to be labeled a radical. So we say nothing about sin. We're demoralized. So that's what a lifetime of problems can do to us and maybe has done to us. What I want to look at is a lifetime of problems. What did it lead Paul to do? I want you to get this this morning. Paul saw all the problems he had as an open door of possibilities. Once you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you know, we've become desensitized, we become de- demoralized, but we look at the apostle Paul and we see a very different situation. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses 8 and 9. Now, he's in Ephesus. He's experienced a lot of affliction here, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But he says in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9, he says this, But I, Paul, will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Verse 9, For a great and effective door has opened to me. And look at that next statement. And there are many adversaries. This guy is looking at these problems, he's looking at these issues, these adversaries, he said, you know what? You see problems? I see a great and effective door that's open to me. There were many adversaries. But he says this, I'm staying because a great and effective door has opened. Does that sound like a contradiction to you? It all depends on your perspective. If you look at problems as problems, yes. But if you look at problems as an opportunity, then you're saying, hey, the glass is not half empty, it's half full. And that was Paul's perspective. I want you to notice, <clears throat> let's go back to Acts 14. Acts chapter 14 and verse 3. <clears throat> we read it this morning. But I want to look at another a portion of this verse, Acts chapter 14 and verse 3. <clears throat> it seems like the worse things got, the more excited Paul got. 
In verse 3 of Acts chapter 14, it says this. Therefore, they stayed there a long time. There was uh, stuff going on and there was uh, issues and affliction and tribulation. But he says, he says, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. That was Paul's perspective. There's a lot of problems. We're staying here a long time. We see opportunities to present God's word to these people. People were stirring up things and poisoning people's minds. So Paul made up his mind, I'm staying here a long time because this is where the need is. This is where the opportunity is. And he spoke even more boldly about the Lord. So while we get desensitized and we get demoralized, Paul got energized by his problems. Listen, Paul's understanding of problems can be and often is very different than our perspective on problems. For Paul, the greater the opposition, the greater the opportunity. He interpreted huge challenges as an open door for greater opportunity. We think of opportunity only when everything is settled down. Things are falling into place and everyone is in agreement. That doesn't happen very often. We live a life that's in constant change. I like to say this, that life is transition. We cannot get enamored or hold on or hug or squeeze now because it's going to change. Even if you go back to a place that you used to be that you remember very fondly, you go back, they've changed, you've changed, the situation has changed. So life is filled with transitions. So number one, expect problems from everyone. Number two, view problems as possibilities. And then three and finally, use problems to seize the possibilities. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. A very important verse here, actually two verses that I want you to see. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. This is Paul talking to the Christians once again at Ephesus. And I want to say this before I say the first word. This word see in the Greek is an imperative. For all you grammarians out there, you know that an imperative is a command. It's not a request. He's not saying you do this if you feel like it. You don't do it if you've got the time. He says, you do it. So this is an imperative. He says in verse 15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Now, circumspectly is a word that we don't hear a lot today. But if this room was filled with snakes, let's just imagine it. I imagine there's not one single person, number one, that would walk through it. But you'd get up on your seat. Now, some, there are some brave souls that would. But all of us would be jumping up on our chairs and not wanting to do that. But at some point, you've got to leave. You need the restroom. You've got to get, have some food. You get thirsty. Snakes are still there. So when you get down and you walk through those snakes, guess what you're doing? You're walking circumspectly. You, you see where the snakes are. You see where the danger is. And you're walking with purpose. And eventually, hopefully, you get to the back door, you're free. 
But until then, you're, work, you're walking circumspectly. So he says, see then, a command, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16, once again, another, um, uh, what's the word? Another the grammar word we're using. Now it's, um, hmm? Imperative, there it is. I'm going to blame that on the senior moment. So that was my one for the message. So imperative, yes, another imperative. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So this is a word that would have been used in the marketplace. So the idea here of redeeming the time is to buy back your time or purchase while it's still available. So you walk to a place, and when we lived in Sicily, when I was in the Navy, uh, the joke was if you saw something at the commissary or you saw something at the exchange, you better buy it because it may not be there tomorrow. So you buy it. You redeem it. You, you buy it back. And that's what Paul is saying is make good use of your time because the days are evil. So it, we need to buy up every opportunity. Paul is telling us, wake up. I don't think there's a soul in this room that believes that Jesus Christ, won't, is, his return is a far off. He's coming back soon. We, I believe, are living in the last days. He's coming. He says, wake up, open our eyes, and make the most of every opportunity. There's no place in the Christian life where you say, I'm done. I'm retiring from my Christian walk. Now, maybe it slows down a bit. Maybe it changes. But the goal is to serve the Lord every day of our lives. Be focused. Be intentional. Live circumspectly. Redeem the time. We need to recognize now that the days are evil, but there are many opportunities. There are opportunities. Carpe diem. Probably overly used means seize the day, seize the moment. Paul's response to a riot he caused was, hey, let's take advantage of this. Here in Ephesus, the silver uh, trade was taking a big hit. These guys that were making these statuettes out of silver, uh, because of Paul's preaching, I mean, they saw a gigantic downturn in their business model. And they were not happy about that. And they knew who to blame, Paul and his people. And so there were attacks on them. But when Paul found out clearly that they were gunning for him, that they, were, they had issues with him, his response was, I'm going to take advantage of this situation. I'm not going to stop preaching. I'm going to pick it up. I'm taking it into the next gear of preaching. Paul's attitude was this. It's the fourth quarter. We're down by 20 points. Give me the ball. That's where you determine the guys that are, they've got it and those, the guys that don't have it. They want to excel when the chips are down. They want the ball when it doesn't look good for them because they can do it. They have the confidence. Listen, Paul saw problems as an opportunity to seize the moment for God's glory. My challenge to me and to you is, are we? You know, I think too often as Christians, we are so afraid of offending. We're so afraid of stirring up problems that we shy away from that. And opportunities that were there don't stay there. 
I think we need to be looking for that. I think that's half the battle, just being able to recognize where the opportunities are. And if we see problems, definitely we shy away from that. But those problems could be and can be opportunities. Instead of being discouraged, Paul was encouraged. I don't know about you, but I want to have that same attitude. I don't want to become demoralized. I certainly don't want to be desensitized. I want to be energized. I see problems. I have problems. But I want to look at those as opportunities. The Marine Corps had this saying, and I love it, problems don't get better with time. It's true. If you ignore something, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. So deal with it. Face it. Work through it. I want to be able to be like Paul and say, hey, the chips are down. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. I want to look around and see these obstacles, and I want to see the opposition, and I want to say, what a great door of opportunity has been opened to me, instead of slinking away, hoping somebody else will do it. I want to do it. I want to be that guy. And I hope that you guys do as well. Here we've just gone through a horrific time of dealing with COVID and our nation is just not doing well. It's unhealthy. You know, it'd be really easy to adopt a pessimistic or even fatalistic perspective and say, what's the use? It's all gone. It's over. No, there's opportunities here. There are people who are discouraged. There are people who don't know. They're looking at the economy and it's wrecking them. Present the gospel. Have your spiritual antennas up. And be sensitive to people who are struggling. My 21 years in the Navy as a chaplain, I was there in Afghanistan, I was in Iraq, and those were some of the best times to be able to witness for the Lord. People that would normally not be open to it were open to it. Share the gospel. Be creative. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a weirdo. Share it. Form the relationship. Look for opportunities to be able to present God's word to them. In conclusion this morning, fact, everyone has problems. It's not the point. It's just that's the status quo. We've got problems. What do we do with those problems? Some people sit down and quit. Maybe not literally, but metaphorically, emotionally. Some people have given up. No hope. Have we decided to no longer say anything about anything just to keep the peace? I know. I've been married for 37 years now. Sometimes I can see an argument coming, but I can't do anything to stop it. I'm like careening toward it, you know. I'm like, i got to stop this. Too late. I'm in it. Funny, but not so funny. Problems are part of life. Let's deal with it. Paul's life, challenges to, Paul's life challenges us to remember we are the only salt and light this world has. Think about that for a moment. When I was younger, they used to say at, at vacation Bible school and at youth camp, maybe you're the only Bible someone will ever read. And I think that's true. The unsaved are not interested in God's word, They're, but they might be interested in something you live out and it's real in your life. If we do nothing, ladies and gentlemen, nothing will get done. If we say nothing, the world will never know. 
In what areas of your life do you need to seize the day? I mentioned at the beginning I wanted to challenge you and to challenge me. Are there areas in your marriage that you need to seize the day? Are there areas in your parenting, if you still have kids, maybe your grandparents now? Do you want to have an influence for righteousness at your work? I'm not saying to stop working to preach the gospel, but be creative, be flexible, do both and. Do you have the opportunity to influence for righteousness at your home or in your neighborhood? What about just in general? Do you have the mindset, I want to share the gospel? There are a lot of people around here. You know, the, the hard thing about living in New England is that people, their mindset, I, I'm all set, I'm good, I'm, I'm okay. And maybe financially they are, but that's such a small part of us. There's other stuff that's going on. From now on, let's be a people that when an overwhelming problem arises, we see the opportunity that abounds within it. I'm hoping that that is something that will be a blessing to you as you think about the problems that you might be facing right now. We all have them. What are we doing with them? How are we responding? Are we becoming desensitized? Are we getting demoralized? Are we using them to energize us to make a difference for our Lord and Savior? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in this place. Father, I truly believe it's not an accident that we're here this morning. There are people in this room that desperately need to hear what you have to say to them. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they cannot remember a time when they accepted Jesus Christ into their heart for the forgiveness of their sins, to take them to heaven when they die. Father, may this be the day they, they truly accept. Father, it's not good enough being, uh, being born into a Christian family, raised by a Christian family, getting all the other things, all the trappings of Christianity. Father, none of that saves. Only an acceptance of your son's death on the cross, that saves. And Father, if there's someone this morning here that has not experienced that, I pray that they would make today that day. And then, Father, maybe there are others, Christians, who are on their way to heaven, but they're demoralized, or maybe they're desensitized. And, Father, this message has encouraged them, it's challenged them to rethink their response to problems, rethink their response to this world situation. Father, help us to adopt the outlook that Paul had, that we become energized because of those problems. And work harder in spite of those problems and see opportunities to make a difference. Father, I pray for Pastor Rich and his wife, Lord, as they are doing their thing. I pray, God, that you would just give them grace. What a tremendous work. What a tremendous beacon Calvary Chapel is to this community. And I pray for these people as they band together, as they're one group, one body. Lord, that they would be uh, used by you to make a huge difference in this community. Give them strength. Help them, Lord, as a church to band together as one voice to glorify you. And Father, we're anxious to give you the credit, to give you the honor for any good that comes because you're worthy to be praised. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.